0: If you will this morning, turn with me in your Bibles, or turn your Bibles on to Revelation chapter 3. Let's stand as we open the Word of God together. Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. I'm speaking on checking your spiritual temperature. If we're going to experience national or worldwide revival, it has to begin in the church. And so the message is to the body of Christ this morning, to to the Trinity family and to to the church of the redeemed. He says to the angel of the church, this is chapter 3, verse 14 in Revelation, to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, or in Laodicea, write these things, says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot, so then, because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot. I will vomit you, that's a beautiful language in God's word, is I will vomit you out of my mouth because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not re- be revealed and anoint your eyes with eyesalves that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. and therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, we thank you for this reminder, a stern rebuke that Many of us here this morning need. So we ask your Holy Spirit, Lord, we want to have ears to hear what the Holy Spirit through the Word of God has to say to us today. So Lord, remove every distraction and concerns about how we'll spend this afternoon. Speak to our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. This week I'll go back to the doctor to find out some results of an MRI. I was standing in the back of the church this morning uh, talking with Jeff Cole, who had uh, ACL surgery last year after a fun kids' camp, and uh, talking about the prospect of me having to have this surgery again for the second time. And I'll go and, and, and find out. And I told him, I said, well, quite honestly, it feels pretty good. And Jeff said, yeah, I remember after a few weeks, you know, kind of, You do your exercises, things start feeling good, and you begin to tell yourself, no, I'm okay. Everything's all right now, and uh, maybe that'll be the case, and and you pray for divine healing if that's not the case so that that I can avoid a few things maybe uh, coming up this fall. Uh, But the truth of the matter is there's a a doctor who will take an MRI, and many of you have been through this over some kind of uh, process before, but he'll take an MRI and he'll look into some things that I wouldn't understand. He'll look deep into my knee or look at the results of the equipment that has looked deep into my knee, and he'll say, here's what's going on. And if I were looking at it on my own, I wouldn't know what I was looking at. And I would just say, you know, Doc, I think I'm okay now. The swelling is gone. I'm getting around good enough. I'm not going to try to play basketball with these uh, uh, youth and college students again for a long time, And, uh, and we're okay. But he may or may not look back at me and say, You're not as good as you think you are. Uh, Things aren't as well as you think they may be. I'm not sure what he's going to say, but I do know this. There is a danger of us being the same way, The, the, the same stubbornness that my wife knows that I have physically. We're guilty of often being the same way spiritually when we need to have a spiritual checkup, when we need to check our spiritual temperature We often think that things are okay spiritually. I don't really need to be checked out. No, I don't need God to evaluate me when the truth of the matter is the the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It can penetrate and discern between, and, and what Hebrews says when it talks about that is that the word of God goes in and can do surgery on some areas where you didn't even know you needed help. But we say, no, 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 I really, I feel, I feel like I'm, I'm doing pretty good, spiritually speaking. I feel like I'm okay. I feel like I'm all right. But, but the Word of God and the Spirit of God, and it takes the Spirit of God to read it to us and, and to help us understand what's going on, may have something different to say. In Revelation, Jesus appears to John. He's in exile, the only disciple who will die of old age rather than die a martyr's death. Before disclosing future events, he deals with the present. The Lord Jesus gives John a vision. A vision showing Jesus himself in the middle of the seven churches, saying, no matter what they're going through, I'm still there, and I want to do a work in their midst. Then he sends a letter. He addresses a letter that was written by John, that was to go to each of these seven churches. And he offers commendations to most and condemnations to most, but not all of the churches. Some see these seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 as seven church ages. Uh, They interpret prophecies uh, of church ages concerning these churches. For instance, beginning in chapter 2 and working your way through chapter 3, you start with Ephesus, and many see within Ephesus the apostolic church that lost its first love and, and its passion there. Then the church at Smyrna, they see the period of, of Roman persecution on the church. In Pergamum, they often see the age of Constantine's influence on this world through the church. And then Thyatira often represents the dark ages from maybe the, the middle of the 6th century all the way uh, to about the 15th century. And then there's the church of Sardis that that many see as the church of the Reformation, the Reformation church that's beginning to get back to the Word of God and get their doctrine right. Then there's the church at Philadelphia that uh, there are no bad things to really say about the church at Philadelphia. So many see the church at Philadelphia as the church following the Reformation, the great revival ages, the great missionary movement from about 1650 to the early 1900s when the church was going all over the world reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and expanding the influence of the the worldwide church, which would lead us into the 20th century, which many people today would say we're living in the age of the Laodicean church. And if that's the case, then we're living in in, in a period, in an age of the lukewarm church. Now, it's possible that that is a right interpretation. It's possible that you can see All of those church ages, but make note of this, all seven of these churches were literally in existence there in the first century. And I believe that you can find all seven of these churches in the world today. You can find churches that reflect the things going on in all of these churches today. So let's not be overzealous with interpreting this only prophetically. But let's look inward and ask what the Holy Spirit wants to say to each one of us this morning through his message to the church at Laodicea. Laodicea was a real city in the first century. It was founded uh, sometime, uh, uh, maybe a couple of uh, centuries before, around 250 B.C. actually. It was founded by Antiochus II, and he named it after his wife, Laodicea. And so it became the the city of Laodicea. By the time we get to the middle of the first century and the end of the first century, the city of Laodicea itself was in its glory days. They were thriving economically. They had natural resources like no other city. Everything was going wonderful for the city of Laodicea. And certainly the Christians that were there, the members of the church in Laodicea, we're getting in on those wonderful material blessings that this city th- these were good days. These were glory days, much like what our nation experienced in the years that followed World War II. There was kind of an economic boom. Maybe there was like there was here after World War II even a baby boom. Things were just wonderful. Things were growing. People were better off than they ever had been when it came to their financial condition. But in the midst of all of these blessings, the spiritual atmosphere, their spiritual temperature was on the way down. It was in decline. And so I want to make three observations this morning that I think will help us examine our spiritual temperature. And so I want you to, each one of you, just imagine, uh, hey, we're, we're going to... Uh, the Holy Spirit this morning as our great physician, not for physical healing, but for spiritual healing, and we're saying, Holy Spirit, tell me what my spiritual temperature is. It's supposed to be, you know, our physical temperature is supposed to be 98.6, right? We say that's normal. You know, 98.6, 98 degrees is pretty warm in it. 98 degrees is, man, it's been hot lately. And, uh, and it hasn't been 98 degrees, but it's been awful hot outside lately. It can be in upper 80s, low 90s, and I'm hot. You know, room temperature for, for, for many of us might be around 72 degrees. If you're in a room in my house, it's going to be about 65. But, uh, you know, room temperature is uh, uh, really pretty cold compared to what our body temperature is. Our body temperature is supposed to be hot. If you're married and your spouse is here, look at them right now and say, you have a hot body, 98.6, right? So that's normal. That's not normal. It's hot. We're supposed to, our body temperature is supposed to be, on fire, almost ninety-eight point six, pretty hot. Um, if it's room temperature, then we need to get you to the hospital. If it's uh, below room temperature this morning, then uh, then you're probably in a morgue. I mean, it's, uh, it's if, if your if your body temperature is you know sixty degrees or something like that, then then we've lost you. You're 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 gone. Well, what about your spiritual temperature? Where is it? Have we lost you? Is it? Are are you spiritually dead this morning? Here's the first observation. Jesus Christ is the sovereign and unchanging Lord. So what does that mean? If we're going to measure how we're doing, we've got to have an objective standard that doesn't change. And so Jesus Christ is the sovereign and unchanging Lord. And so he writes, and to the angel, he addresses the angel here. The word angel simply in Scripture means messenger, messenger. Often we refer to the angelic hosts as angels because they are God's messengers. The Greek word angelos that we get our word angel from simply means messenger. The word gospel or good news or good message is euangelion. It takes a word for beautiful or good and puts it together with angel or message. It's the good message. It's the good news, but angel was the messenger, and many believe this is referring to the pastor of the church, and so if you want to tell folks wherever you go our pastor is an angel that's quite all right with me but he addresses that messenger the angel the one who is to give the word of god to the local church and in addressing him we're reminded in Ephesians 4:11 that god gave some to be apostles and some prophets some evangelists and then he says some pastors and teachers and so by the time you get into the the new testament church age the churches had a pastor teacher who was responsible to deliver this particular message Paul had told Timothy as the pastor teacher to preach the word be in be instant be constant in season and out of season and be sure that when those false prophets come along who want to scratch what everybody's itching ears want to hear that Timothy you don't give into that you be sure that you continue to preach the unchanging word of God now why are we sharing all of this right up front because uh, I believe that there are a lot of lukewarm churches and lukewarm Christians in the world today because preachers, so-called preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, have compromised God's standard and God's word, that which brings the spiritual healing into our lives, that breathes spiritual life into our lives. Over 50% of the pastors in America today don't even believe all of this book anymore, much less preach it and proclaim it. And certainly they would shy away from any doctrine in the word of God that might come across controversial church, the world will change. The political environment of what will be tolerated and what will not be tolerated from the pulpit, that will change. What is morally accepted by the world will change, but Jesus Christ and his word will never change. The world changes in how we define modesty and promiscuity and and how we define spirituality and all kinds of things in the world. Those things are constantly changing, but Jesus Christ never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so he says, these things says, and he introduces himself, Jesus does, as the amen. Amen meaning, so be it. It was the final word. Let's keep in mind, Philippians chapter 2, verse 11, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow every tongue, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And so Jesus comes on the scene, and and he says this to the church at Laodicea. I am the unchanging God, and keep one thing in mind. I have the final word. I have the final say-so, and my word stands forever, because I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the faithful and true. These things says the amen. The faithful, look at verse 14 again, the faithful and true Witness when others will compromise their convictions, Jesus never changes. As a matter of fact, I don't know why we would embrace anything but biblical Christianity today. I don't know why we would embrace anything else but Jesus Christ and His Word because everything else is so fickle. The morality that's accepted today, the philosophy that's being taught in the universities today, the other religions, whether you're talking about a cult, the occult, or whether you're talking about uh, world religions. They're all changing what they believe constantly. I mean, why would I want to be a Mormon today when the the Book of Mormon has changed over 2,000 times in the past century? Why would I want to embrace the philosophies of the universities today when they are different today than they were 20 years ago and will be different 20 years from now? I would say, Professor, why do I need to believe this today when I can't live by it tomorrow? And what is called morally acceptable... If we had embraced what our Congress said was morally acceptable back in the 90s, well, it was all thrown out in the past five years. So so why would we embrace what this world has to offer when it is fickle and changing? Why not embrace the unchanging truth of God's Word and let that be the standard, not measure my spirituality by how the world's doing, but put myself beside the Lord Jesus Christ and say, do I still believe that He is the Amen, the final word? Not only is he that, he, he goes back to the very beginning of creation. He's the faithful and true witness. Verse 14 closes by he's introducing himself as the beginning of the creation of God. In, in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul contended, he said, for the Colossian believers. In this letter to the Colossian church, he says, I'm also contending for, for the Laodiceans. It's as if the church at Colossia and the church at Laodicea were sister churches, Close enough, got along with each other, did some things together. In Colossians chapter 4 and verse 16, he says, I want you to read this letter, but I also want this letter to be read to the church at Laodicea. Why are you sharing that with us, Pastor? Okay, the Colossian church at Laodicea got together. Because when Jesus is being described by Paul at the church in Colossae, Paul explains in Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 and following He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. All things were made by Him and were made for Him. And apart from Him, nothing was made that was made. He's saying basically just like John shares in John chapter 1 that that Jesus is the creator of all this. That in Him all things are held together. He's holding this world together. He doesn't change. And it goes on to say He is to be first place or preeminent over all things, especially in the church. The message to the Colossian church that was also to be read to the church at Laodicea was Jesus Christ is the unchanging creator of this universe who has established his ways. His way never changes. There should never be any power struggles in the church because Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Jesus Christ is Lord over all creation. He is the unchanging God of this universe. Other religions and philosophies. Are like hitting moving targets, but not Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. What I believe about him today is what I can believe about him tomorrow and was true yesterday and will always be true. I know this coming fall, some folks will be getting ready for football season, but there's a few of you be ready for dove season. Did you realize that, uh, Ethan, you can kill a dove with a pellet gun? Uh, Jared's looking at me funny, he said, not if it's flying, you can't, (laughs) you know, if a dove will sit still, then, you know, they make these pellet guns today that are strong enough, you can kill a dove with a pellet gun, but that's not what you dove hunt with, why? Because when you're dove hunting, those suckers are moving, they're flying through the air, give me some bird shot, you know, that stuff's got to spread out, you got to be really good if you're going to dove hunt with a pellet gun, I mean, really good. I don't even think Jared's that good. I mean, dove hunt with a pellet gun? That's crazy. Listen, that's what we're trying to do if we chase after the philosophies of this world and and other world religions and when we try to have some kind of standard or compare ourselves with how others are doing. If we don't look to the Lord Jesus Christ who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, we're shooting at a moving target and we're never going to hit it. But when we can put our trust and our hope and our faith in Jesus Christ, and let him be the great physician who tells us how we're doing spiritually, then we have a standard that never changes. The beginning of our spiritual checkup should begin with asking this question, do we really believe, do I really believe Jesus Christ is the sovereign Lord and Savior of this universe? Either he is or he isn't. If he is, everything hinges on that. Or we're just left to our relativistic whims, and nothing of any eternal significance. So that's our starting point. But Let's let's move on to the second. And this is, uh, uh, there was no crafty way to state this other than just how it appears in, in, in Scripture. Casual Christianity makes Jesus sick. Casual Christianity makes Jesus sick. Now, I realize that physically... We don't have to worry about our Lord getting sick. i often said before, God's not dead. He's not even sick. But when it comes to the fact that Christ expresses emotions, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can quench the Holy Spirit. And when it comes to the fact that, that God in his personhood can experience emotions that he even allows us to experience, then we read in Scripture here that casual Christianity, lukewarmness makes him... Sick Look at verse 15. I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot, so then because you are lukewarm and not cold or hot, I will vomit you. I will spew you out of my mouth. You make me sick. Somehow it suggested that the reference to being hot or cold is a reference to the fact that there were the hot mineral springs, those hot springs there in Laodicea which brought healing and, and it was very therapeutic for people to experience those, those hot springs. But they would flow out and run into a cold river and often where the, the waters came together there was tepid or, or lukewarm water that would often even become backed up and, and stagnant at times. And so the, the, the lukewarm was a reference to the fact that you're not cold and refreshing doing some good there or you're not hot and on fire and bringing about healing there. And so that may be the best interpretation of this passage. As we observe the life of Christ, however, the, the traditional interpretation of this passage may be a little bit better. Where he's talking about levels of spiritual fervor. Cold meaning totally dead. Spiritually out of it. Spiritually without a clue. And most people who are, who are dead cold religiously or spiritually, they, they know it. But, but he says, you know, I'd, I'd rather you be in that condition... Because you, you would know it, you would know that you are spiritually dead, you would know that you're as far from God as you can be, as lost as you can be, and in need of God to do something in your life. He says, I'd rather you be in that state, or that you would be hot and on fire for Him with more passion, more get-after-it-for-Jesus than you've ever had in your life, more in love with Him, more, more enthusiastic fervor for Christ." growing in that passion than to be somewhere in the middle there, lukewarm. Who were the lukewarm Christians? Who were the room temperature Christians? Or were they Christians? They're the ones that think they're okay. Like me with my knee. <laughs> Spiritually speaking, they're the ones who think they, they are okay when they're not. And I think there could be two camps here. I, I really do. I, I think that the lukewarm Individuals in this passage that are referred to could be people that are lost. They have never experienced genuine conversion. Christ has never quickened their spirits and come to live on the inside of them. And so they, they have an outward form of religion, but they deny the power of God that comes from it. And so it could be a lot of people who are doing church, doing religion, saying I'm, I, I'm getting my brownie points with God because I go to church and I do some good things for people but they have no zeal for Jesus Christ, no real relationship with Christ. Or it could refer to those who have been born again, but they've backslidden to a point to where they're just going through a religious ritual, religious routine, and they're looking at everybody around them. They're saying, well, I'm okay. I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good girl. I'm okay. My family's okay. We're good religious people. We go to church. But in their hearts... Jesus Christ isn't number one. They're much like the ones at the church at Ephesus. They've lost their first love. They cannot say, I am on fire for Jesus Christ. There's no spiritual fervor guiding and driving their life. So it could be either one of those groups. So he says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. You're making me sick. It's a figure of speech, obviously, but we're grieving Jesus Christ. He doesn't mention in his letter to the church at Laodicea a doctrinal failure. He doesn't mention a lack of good works. What he goes after is the fact that they had no hot heart for God. How are you doing? When you ask the Holy Spirit to give you a check of this morning, how's your heart for God? Are you zealous to serve him? Are you zealous? We, we, we went through a series called Everyone Everywhere. Are you more zealous to be a witness for him? We, we've experienced some great missions opportunities at church. Are, are you more zealous in being on mission for Jesus Christ than you ever have been? Do you see your place in your neighborhood, in, in your community, and in, in your workplace as being there on fire for Jesus Christ and on mission for him? What drives you? See, see their lives were blessed, but their lives had been blessed because they had received all of their worldly pursuits. And like many Americans today, like many church-going Americans who live right here in Madison County, Georgia, their blessings had not been a cause for worship and service. Their blessings had not been a means, hey, God has blessed me with this, and so I want to use that as a means of devotion. God has given me these skills, this provision, this talent, whatever, and so I'm going to use that as an opportunity to be a better witness for Him. I'm going to use that out of my gratitude to motivate me in a life of worship and devotion to Almighty God. Instead of a blessing, these things had become a distraction. All they were materially, they had failed to be spiritually. Look at verse 17 say, I am rich, I've become wealthy, have need of nothing. We're doing all right. And you do not know that, spiritually speaking, you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. To be wretched meant to, they were spiritually empty. They were experiencing spiritual poverty. Miserable. See, having everything this world has to offer doesn't bring joy into your life. They were miserable. See, if our hearts and our minds are our own pursuing what this world has to offer, and and we don't live for anything of eternal significance, we'll be miserable. He says you're, you're spiritually miserable, poor. No treasures are being laid up in heaven. Blind, spiritually they didn't grasp it. Much like remember the story of the boy who had been born blind, and and Jesus healed him, and he's the Pharisees and, and the Jews are coming and the disciples had been asking, you know, who sinned? This man might be born blind and why did you heal him on the Sabbath? All these questions came up and Jesus gave a rebuke to the religious leaders in John's gospel when he said, you guys who are judging him, though he was physically blind and now he can see, you are spiritually blind and can't see a thing. You don't get it. You're just not grasping it. When, when I'm preaching on a Sunday morning or teaching the Word of God or we have somebody teaching a life group, you, you might look, look out across and, and you see that there are folks that are getting it and they're writing it down, they're hiding it in their heart, they're like the spiritual truth, biblical principle, I've got it, I want to embrace it, I want to live it out. But there are others that are lukewarm and because they're lukewarm, they're blind and they're not getting it. They're more concerned, with well, what are we having for lunch today? How is this week going to get by? What am I going to do next week? How am I going to handle this situation? And when the Word of God is coming and when, when the Holy Spirit is trying to bring illumination into your life and say, here's where you are, spiritually speaking, you're oblivious to what God's trying to say. And Jesus says, if you're lukewarm, you're blind. You're just, you're just not getting it. And it thrills my heart when I see brothers and sisters in Christ that grasp that this whole thing is about discipleship and growing as a disciple of Christ. And the light bulbs come on and they're like, man, I got it. And when they catch me after church or send me an email, here's what God is saying to me they're getting it. They're not spiritually blind because they're not lukewarm. They've got a a, a hot heart for God. And because they have a hot heart for God, God is showing them things. They're not blind. They begin to see what God is doing. And then he says, you're naked. You're not clothed in his righteousness. Lukewarm. A lot of us brought back some delicious coffee from Haribikoa. There's coffee plantations right there where we were on mission. As a matter of fact, when we unloaded, you guys remember opening the, 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 the trailer when we got back? So many of us brought coffee back. It's a wonder they didn't think we were trying to smuggle drugs into the country or something. So many of us brought coffee back. When we opened the trailer to get our luggage out, it just smelled like a coffee plantation. The smell of coffee just came flowing out of there. And uh, I, I bought some coffee beans while I was over there. And I enjoyed this past week getting my little coffee grinder out, grinding them fresh. But listen, you know, as fresh as that was, as exciting as that was to say, man, we bought this. This was grown on plantation by some folks right there in Harabacoa, Dominican Republic. And, 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 and as exciting as all that was, if you made that coffee, most of you that are coffee drinkers, I'm, I'm a big coffee drinker, you know, and, uh, and most of you that are coffee drinkers like me know that the hotter it is, the better it tastes. You can fix that, that coffee freshly grown freshly roasted freshly ground right out of the coffee pot set it on a counter let it sit there all day long walk back in and I don't know about you but nothing makes me sicker than to grab a cup of lukewarm coffee room temperature coffee turn it up nasty what do you want to do you want to spit it out of your mouth this is nasty stuff wait a minute it's fresh grown it's 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 fresh ground. You smelled how good it smelled. But listen, it makes you sick when it's lukewarm. And Jesus says, don't be like that. How's your spiritual life? Cold? On fire? Lukewarm? Just okay? Have you come to a place in your life where well, it's, just, it's good enough is good enough? Good enough is good enough is a lukewarm attitude. Number three, spiritual revitalization, spiritual revitalization is the desperate need of the hour verse 18, he says, buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, white garments that you may be clothed. The shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. Anoint your eyes with eye salve. Just real quickly, I know we've gone a little late today. Compare this with a pearl of great price of Matthew chapter 13, verse 46. He says, when you discover it, you'll go sell all that you have to embrace what God has because what God has is better gold refined, those works in your life that are motivated by love, that lay up treasures in heaven because you got a hot heart for God. White garments, rejecting the, the immorality of this world for a holiness that comes from Jesus Christ because Christ cleanses you from the inside out and empowers you to live a clean life that keeps you from being miserable. Anoint your eyes. They were known for the tephra phrygia a sea, an eye salve that was famous everywhere that was supposed to bring some kind of healing to ailing and aging eyes. It says, no, anoint your eyes so that you can see the deeper things of God. Don't be lukewarm. Grow, grow deep in what you grasp and embrace for the things of God. Verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke, therefore be, here it is, zealous. That's that hot heart for God. Not lukewarm, but zealous, on fire. zealousness was a righteous jealousy. I know in in the church, we don't like that word jealousy because sometimes it's put in contrast with the word love. But there is a zealousness, a righteous jealousy where we say, you know what? I want everything God has to offer. I don't want to settle for the things of this world. I want to get in on everything God has to offer. I don't want to be lukewarm. I want more than that for my life. Verse 20 says he's ready to give it to you. Everybody look at verse 20. Here's one we often quote as a salvation verse. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will hear my voice and open the door and come in, I will fellowship with him and he will fellowship with me. It's one of the great evangelistic verses. The problem is it's not just evangelistically speaking. It's speaking to many Christians who are out of fellowship with Jesus Christ, who have lost that passionate heart for God, who no longer have a hot heart for God, and he's saying, listen, you can get it back. You can get it back. You don't have to wait till you get through whatever you're going through in life to get that hot heart for God back. He says, I'm standing at the door. It's as close as intimacy with me. If you'll open up the door of your life, let me come back in and be the center of your life, then we can give you that passionate heart for the things of God. But the Spirit of God and the Word of God and Jesus Christ wants back in. Then we can live for eternity, verse 21. he is seated on the throne there's going to be a reward for you we can live for eternity and not for now and the Holy Spirit is speaking verse 22 says are you listening listen to what I have to say remember watching the uh, Indiana Jones movie uh, The Last Crusade I was talking with Ken about this last night to be sure I had the right movie but at the end of the, the Indiana Jones movie, The Last Crusade, where they, the, the, the lady's trying to grab hold of the Holy Grail that's not supposed to be taking, take, taken out of this place. And, and, and the ground opens up and the grail falls down. And, and she's got one hand on Indiana Jones and he's trying to save her life. But with the other hand, she's reaching for the grail. And she's either got to let the grail go or let Dr. Jones go. So she eventually, she, she lets go of Indiana Jones to go for the grail and she falls to her death. And so many of us are kind of like that. Our savior has us by the hand and and he's a perfect gentleman. He's not going to force us to go with him, but we're, we're with one hand trying to hold on to God and uh, one hand trying to hold on to our savior. But with the other hand, we're trying to grab for the things of this world. Maybe the religious artifacts, maybe the, the, the material possessions, whatever this world has to offer. We're trying to hold on to things of the world, trying to hold on to God. And, and we can't serve God and mammon. We can't have a hot heart for God if we're in love with the things of this world. And he says, let go of all that and embrace me fully again. Let go of those things and embrace what I have for you. And that's what I want to do, church. I've had too many lukewarm days in my life. I want to let go of the things of this world and say, God, give me what you have for me. Embrace it and let him set my heart on fire again. Would you bow your heads with me?